Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on how our Neanderthal ancestors will to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind, body, and soul. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock thousands of years to discuss all aspects of our Neanderthal ancestors. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. Welcome again, cave dwellers. I hope you have been anticipating this episode. I know I have. Joining me today is the one, the only, Neanderthal Joe. And for those of you who know him, he is also known as Joe Lawler. Joe was my very first guest on uh, the Neanderthal Mind podcast, and now he holds the title of very first return guest on the podcast. I was going to go through a long, drawn-out introduction and precap of what uh, Neanderthal Joe and I talk about, but I just, I just want to jump right into it. For those of you that joined me on my first two episodes, you know what is coming up with my conversation with Joe. But for those of you that were not able to join the rest of us, sit back, relax, and hold on for some awesome knowledge about Neanderthals and Neanderthal life. I will see you on the flip side, cave dwellers. Well, hey, welcome back, man. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. I've been researching a lot more on uh, sort of Neanderthal burials. Um, and from what I'm gathering, but I, I'm, I'm gathering, I'm not a scientist or anything. I haven't been to school, but from what I'm gathering, a lot of, uh, at least 75% of Neanderthal burials are either shallow pit burials or uh, a thing called excarnation which is basically just removing the flesh and then burying the bones. A lot of the, uh, the tabloid articles, they like to, they don't really consider much else. Like if you, if you search up um, Neanderthal cannibalism, they'll bring up all these sites such as Goyette and uh, I think it's El Cedron. Those are the biggest ones with uh, Neanderthal bones that have been butchered, I guess. But it doesn't really look like they were eating them. Like whoever was preparing the uh, bones doesn't look like they were eating them because they were, for one, they were using the bones, like the long bones, so arms and legs as uh, for tools, for retouching point tools. And um, it, it seems, from what I'm reading, it seems that the way they were butchering them wasn't the same as the way they're butchering animals. So there's more... Um, like there's more like a, a carefulness to how they're preparing the bones compared to say an aurochs or cow. I guess those are the same things, but some other large ungulate, they're not really preparing them the same way, if that makes sense. So then I guess, or do you, are you getting to, so the marks that I've always read, they say, oh, we see teeth marks in there of cannibalism, but now we're thinking maybe it's not teeth marks, maybe it's a... Uh, you know, from uh, defleshing or, you know, clear, clearing off the bone? Yeah. Um, so the, we, I guess scientists haven't really found, I think they found a few examples of, sorry, um, teeth marks and other Neanderthal bones, but I think it's really rare. 
what they mostly find is like a butchery marks. So um, marks caused from stone tools when they're like, um, I guess, skinning the other Neanderthals. And to me, it seems like uh, like that's how they're going about disposing the body because you don't you just you don't want to have uh, well like a full sized man just buried in your house, right? So you're gonna probably take the flesh bring it somewhere else or they i'm not saying that they didn't eat it i'm sure some of them did eat it but like there's things called sky burials um i think that's in the altai mountains where they let eagles actually eat the meat and then they bury the bones later um they could have been doing something like that but with wolves or bears or whatever predators were there they could have been bringing the meat to a den and leaving it there and then having the neanderthal or um whoever like paleolithic person will call them go back to nature and go back to like the spirits and whatever basically it makes more sense that they were more like us than what they were portrayed as before we started making all these discoveries you know there was always the stereotype of them like you said you know being cannibals or you know yeah. just uh swinging clubs around or whatever it might be but it, you know and it's more and more information that gets discovered they're more human like us i mean obviously they were human but i mean they're more characteristically like us than what has always been portrayed of them yeah yeah the the um the stereotype cannibalistic ape man or grizzly man or whatever so it just i think it needs to go away um because it, it like i said they they now scientists pretty much agree that they were burying their dead in the way we would in a in a grave or whatever um and i think for the longest time people thought or i, I keep saying people but it's really more the scientists because they're the ones giving us the information but i feel like it was more scientists saying oh well they weren't making these elaborate um grave sites for their dead so obviously they didn't bury them uh, and i think maybe maybe neanderthals just had a different way of uh exposing it like um going back to defleshing or excarnation or whatever you want to call it maybe they just wanted to see if um if they were the same as the animals they were butchering because obviously they would pretty much be butchering horses and and deer and whatever daily so maybe when a family member died they they wanted to see if it was the same on the inside so they just butchered them like that and then they got their answer yeah so more of a I, mean, I don't want to say scientific experiment, but I mean, they, yeah, I mean, obviously they wanted to learn more about themselves and, you know, how else, how did we learn about ourselves, you know, but through yeah. dissection in, in a sense, you know, dissecting the human body and the human mind. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's pretty much human nature is to take things apart and try to figure them out. We've been doing it for thousands of years and that's probably how flint napping started. We just wanted to see what was inside the rock. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always, I always like to picture it as, you know, maybe they were throwing a rock at something one day and it chipped off a piece of sharp <laughs> flint, and you know, they were like, "Hey, I could, I could use this as a yeah. weapon," you know. And then, <laughs> and then they just well, started that, kind of manufacturing them. Yeah, exactly. And, and kids do that now. Like, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I used to throw. If you were playing in a creek or something, you'd pick up a big, like a quartz rock, and you'd throw it against another one, and you'd figure out, oh, this is sharp. I'm sure it happened something like that. Or they were 
trying to break a, open a rib bone and they kept throwing a rock and boom, found out it was sharp. So um, I know a couple of things you had said you, you, you know, might want to be interested in talking about was the, uh, the book Kindred. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, interviewed Rebecca. Well, it's been a while back now. And uh, I mean, it was an awesome. I thought it was an awesome interview. I mean, hopefully it, oh, it came it across great. as that. <laughs> uh, she's, great, a, yeah. she's a, she's a fantastic person. A lot of knowledge there, and no, I, like I like I was telling her, it, she reminds me of you know even the books that uh, E.A. Meigs you know wrote. You know how you tell the story like almost like a fictitious yeah. fictional story, but it's based off of factual information. You know, I agree. Yeah, she um, she wasn't just uh, it wasn't like picking up a science book. It was a uh, I want to, I want to compare it more towards uh, almost like the Clan of the Cave Bear or uh, the Earth Children series, but not quite. It was more like here's a short story, and then here's the evidence to back up that short story. It was um, it was definitely a good read. Like I finished the book in two days because it was just kept I just kept coming back to it, and I've never had I've had that happen with one other book, which is actually E. A. Meg's book. Um, so only two books in the world have ever made me do that before, and it was Kindred and uh, the Dreamer series. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, she just signed up for another uh, conversation with me uh, coming up towards the end of the month here, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm talking um, about EA EA Megs. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's good. Yeah yeah. I'm excited about that. She is definitely a wonderful human being. Absolutely, I agree. I got a this um this Saturday coming up. I'm going to be buying the uh, the Restorer series and uh, giving them a read. My grand I got my grandma into them too, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Over the winter, um, I've been trying to do a lot more hide working and all that because um, this summer I want to try to get my first uh like prehistoric. I guess not prehistoric, but primitive um, sort of like animal hide clothing. And uh, I bought three gorgeous black cow hides. And uh, my favorite Ice Age animal is the aurochs. And they they supposedly had a pure black hide with a red shriek down their back. And I got three hides that perfectly match that. So during the summer or spring, I'm going to try to get um, a nice coat or uh, like a hoodie out of um, some beautiful cow hides. So Hopefully, um, hopefully that happens, and then come back on and talk about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you what uh, you know what you've been up to with your flint mapping, and uh, you know, I've seen you've come out with quite a few new videos, and uh, you know, you have your uh, uh, contest. What what you you know where you what would you call that? You know where. Uh, you're giving away those um, uh, packages, you know, with uh, flint napping and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been trying to hold raffles, and I've done three now. And the first three were very successful. I had almost 500 people enter them. Um, the last one, I think, was almost 700 people. And, like, people will buy tickets. So it's like a raffle, right? So people will buy, because like they say the tickets were $2 each. Um, two dollars Canadian and then you buy however many raffle you want and then let's say on a Friday I draw 
and then uh, if you if your name was drawn, you get either package one A, one two or three, and then uh, and then I send it to you. But unfortunately, the last raffle I did, I've been it was um nobody's seen it. Like I've been a lot of people have been telling me they didn't even see it. So um, I've been having this almost a year long battle with uh, Facebook censorship. Uh, I've been a thing called shadow banned on Facebook. So my outreach is kind of being suppressed right now, but I'm still kicking around. I'm still kicking about. Um, I'm not going to let it beat me down. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't raise my Facebook page and group for nothing. You know, I agree with that. And I, yeah, and I, you know, I've been obviously following your messages too about them shadow banning you, which, you know, I'm not, sure why they do those things I, I don't know if it's the bots out there that see one word or something and you know then they they cut you off i don't know what I, it is it's <laughs> not even it's not even just me like uh it's happened to ea mags it's happened to a a guy named uh, the mammoth hunter he i think he just left facebook because he just he's not gonna mess around he's not gonna put the time and effort into it right if they're not gonna like support him being there um, it's happened to bigger people, such as uh, Hunt Primitive. And I don't think it's affected Will Lord yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does. And I really hope it doesn't, because, well, like if it happens to Will Lord, then it can happen to anybody, right? Now we, we don't understand why this is going on. Like, why is there such a, a, um, a focus on I, primitive things? I guess you can say. I I really don't know why we would be dragged into it. It. it it must just be some words or whatever. I'm going to guess it's the AI that Facebook uses for their algorithm or whatever, but I just, uh, I've got no answers. Uh, I'm hoping that they answer me one day. So far, it doesn't look like anything is going to be resolved. So then the uh, new platform that you're on, I think I signed up for, well, wasn't there two new platforms? What is it? Is it Mind or something like that? And then We, or I can't remember what the heck. I moved to uh, both me, uh, a site called MeWe, which is supposed to be a, uh, a Facebook alternative, but um, it doesn't really have that community outreach like Facebook does. So I've been posting on it now for a few months, and there has been not a lot of interaction on it. And so it's, it's kind of it's difficult to say, well, I'm just going to pack up and move from Facebook because like that would just be, I guess, basically social media suicide if I did that. Um, because then I'd be posting for no one. I'm posting directly to a site called uh, uh, Minds. Yes, Minds. And um, it's all right, but it's kind of bland because I can't interact with people. They don't allow that through mobile for some reason. So I can't post multiple pictures on it at once. Um, I can't comment on other people's stuff. I can't search for other people. So mine's, mine's is great. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm growing pretty fast on it. People are commenting, but I can't, I can't interact with them. So that's the problem with that right now. So I'm pretty much shackled to Facebook as of right now. Well, Facebook and YouTube. I do like making YouTube videos. Uh, last time we talked, you were around 5,000 on Facebook, 5,000 followers. What? You may not even pay attention to that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, the numbers aren't really important to me, um, but I think I'm about to hit six thousand. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's good. It's not. It's 
for me, it's not so much the numbers, it's more like interacting with the other people and getting feedback on my work and all that. Right. That's what I've been trying to do for the podcast. And I just, unless I'm just not finding it, not seeing it anywhere. Like, well, for one thing, I don't, my website is just absolutely horrible because I don't know how to do a website, but uh, I've been, you know, putting it out there for them to send me emails and, you know, let, just let me know what they're thinking of the podcast, you know, because I don't know if I'm doing something wrong unless you tell me, you know? So yeah, I get that interaction thing is tough, man. Yeah. I honestly, um, I would probably just put your podcast on YouTube. That, that would be my go. Cause then people can comment directly. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I know, uh, I just interviewed Rihanna Milne, um, the last I think I just yeah the last, last, this this week here was the first episode with her and uh, she was encouraging me to to put it on YouTube as well so I definitely need to do that I need to look into I'm sure it's not difficult to start a YouTube channel oh no it's 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 super simple yeah it's super simple yeah Facebook definitely uh, not Facebook sorry uh, YouTube definitely has um, the best platform for posting uh, the problem is like you can't live stream or anything, which I'm not. I don't think you do these live. Yeah, no, I, I, I do not. Yeah, that's correct. Now, my only other thing too would be because I've never really. I think I've only, I've only done maybe. Well, I've definitely two interviews that were video as well. I think that's all I've done. You know, out of the uh, I don't know how many how many I'm up to now, but. Uh, I think I've only done two that are video uh, and, and I don't know how that would work. I mean, I guess it would just be my logo sitting up there, but you know, still hearing us talk, I guess is how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, actually I watch, a, I won't mention podcasts because they're not exactly, they're not exactly like family friendly, but they, oh. they definitely they do that. <laughs> they, they'll have like, um, so for say they'll have your logo and then they'll have like my logo. And then they'll be on the screens and then they would just be us two talking. Yeah, I definitely want to look into that. I need to, need to, uh, yeah, I need to switch it up a little bit and, and get onto YouTube. And uh, I really don't use much of the, the social medias that well because I'm just not that versed in it, you know? So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not really, I, I mean, I kind of wish I just stuck to my private page, but, you know, I like the community aspect of it. It's fun. It's helped me through the uh, the pandemic because I'm sure if I didn't have that, some human interaction I lost my mind by now. <laughs> yeah, I had a bad you know. Now, so you're, um, about, you know, I would just kind of go back to some of the questions I asked you on the first interview. So what about yeah. your, uh, how about your online shop? How's that going for you? Uh, it's going pretty good. I, it's kind of slowed down right now because um, I've run out of rock. So I've run out of uh, flint napping material. Um, I've kind of just been going through my uh, debitage pile and uh, sort of just making arrowheads and all that out of it. <coughs> um, I have one big piece of uh, flint left and I'm hoping I can either get a nice uh, Bow wow core out of it or uh, a hand axe, but so far I've uh, I've just been making um, arrowheads like uh, Native American style arrowheads, which I really do like making. It's a challenge. It's uh, and it's 
it's nice to um, switch it up every now and then from uh, the Neanderthal stuff. Have you tried to do anything different? Any any newer? I mean, I guess you can only. There's only so many tools you can make, and yeah, I've I've been keeping it sort of quiet recently, but um, I guess I'll tell now. I've been I've been uh, working out plans to start making some atlatls um, out of uh, like um, uh, I forgot the word uh, horns, not horns, antlers. Um, out of some deer antlers, so I'm hoping to do that soon. I'm going to do some uh, Megadelanian and uh, Gravettian style carvings on them. Um, I've got a lot of, I uh, still got a lot of bullhorn left to make some stuff out of. So I'm hoping this year, because I, I don't want to carve bone and antler and all that inside. So I'm hoping during the summertime I can do some of that and uh, start working more towards uh, carvings and moving more into the upper Paleolithic as opposed to the middle Paleolithic. You said that you've been doing a lot more reading, and, and uh, I know we touched a, a little bit uh, a couple minutes ago on, you know, what you've discovered anything new, you know, from, from your reading. What, uh, what would have been the, the more significant thing that you've uh, learned, I guess, recently? Um, so for a while, oh, maybe not a while, maybe like 200 plus years, people only assumed that Neanderthals were hunting big, big game. So like the super massive ungulates like mammoth and bison and uh, aurochs and all that, because nobody was actually looking for like uh, rabbit bones, fish scales and fish bones and all that. So old, I guess like old age, so like 1900s, 1800s. And uh, up until recently, people haven't been looking for uh, small game, like fish and poultry and all that. And now it's sort of coming out that, oh, wait, Neanderthals actually probably did fish a lot more than we, than we used to think. Um, and another thing, I was reading a, 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 PDF, a PDF file of a possible Neanderthal um, cordage making. They found, a, uh, they found uh, twisted fibers, so two different types of fibers that were actually twisted, but it's microscopic, so it's not actually... It's not actually uh, cordage, but it, it, the only way it would have been caused is by human hands twisting it into cordage. And they think that it might have been sitting in, in a, a, a bag woven out of twisted fiber cordage. And, uh, or the, it was found on a stone pool, sorry. And it might have been found, or it might have been laying on a piece of cordage, wrapped in a piece of cordage or in a cordage bag. And um, from the book Kindred, it turns out Neanderthals may have been making uh, like leather, like uh, like uh, leather as we know it now, with uh, tannins. I think they found tannins in a site, and uh, that might lead researchers looking for more of that. And it's pretty interesting to see. It's going to be pretty interesting to see if um, they actually start finding more and more evidence for uh, Neanderthals making actual weather. I think I even asked Rebecca and EA Megs, like with these discoveries, why wouldn't it be by now, why wouldn't we realize that they were more sophisticated than what we have always thought they were? Because if you start to broaden your thought about how intelligent they actually are or were, then 
we would probably be looking for a lot more telltale signs of, you know, what they actually did and what they were and who they were. Like, you know, it's like we're limiting our thought or, you know, our scope of uh, discovery. We're limiting our scope of discovery because we still think that they didn't have the intelligence that we have. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is, um, I, I don't want to use the word dogma, but it is, a, it is pretty much dogma, but they're not looking for it because nobody has looked for it before. And it just so happens to be, um, I think it's Bruce Hardy. He's the guy who, I, I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but it might've been Bruce Hardy. He's a scientist who uh, I think he or one of someone in his team found the cordage because they were actually looking for fish bones. And then they ended up finding the, uh, or fish scales, sorry, not bones. And then they ended up finding the, uh, this small little piece of uh, cordage. So really it's just people, it's people not looking for it because nobody's ever looked for it before. So they see it as a waste of time. That's why they haven't, uh, they haven't found that's a that's why the um neanderthal hunting fish and all that is a recent thing because nobody was looking for those things before now um and again i think when i was when i was interviewing rebecca we had talked about and i guess one of the other reasons why i asked that is or brought that up was you know recently i guess they discovered and i don't i'm not well versed on it as to where what it was they found an area where there were like holes drilled into rocks for poles for some kind of structure that was built. Uh, I know that was just recently discovered and, you know, it's, you know, like I was saying, it, it just makes me wonder why we're keeping them in such a small box as to what, you know, their, their scope of intelligence and, and craftsmanship and workmanship is. Um, I don't know if you have any, you know, any elaboration on structures as to what they might have lived in or built? I I do know what you're talking about with the the holes being drilled for uh, what appears to be tent bags or a wall or some sort, but I don't remember exactly what site it was, so I'm not going to say too much on that. But there is in Ukraine there is there has been multiple um, sort of circles found that are probably were used for huts for bone huts. And um, a lot of people will focus on a 12,000-year-old bone circle that was found under a farmer's house. Um, and I think that's in the Upper Paleolithic, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but no, everyone fails to realize or um, recognize, or it just doesn't get as much publicity, is that there's actually an older shelter that's, um, I think, 40 to 50,000 years ago that only could have been made by Neanderthals. So to me, it seems Neanderthals actually preferred, um, here, I'll, I'll, I'll basically quote what one person um, said on a post of mine. I'm pretty sure he said something like, uh, I don't think Neanderthals called caves home unless it was like really harsh out. So the environment was really harsh. Is there nothing, caves don't scream home. Like you don't, you wouldn't go, oh, I want to live in this breezy, drafty, cold, wet, dark environment. So Neanderthals were probably living in open air sites like, uh, like simple huts and, and uh, hide shelters, maybe even um, teepees and such. 
and uh, calling caves home when the winter was really bad or when the weather was really harsh. So I, I definitely think that the direction of living in tents and teepees and all that needs to be pushed more than Neanderthals were just cave, cave people. Cave dwellers, right? <laughs> cave dwellers, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's just that's what I call the community, <laughs> my yeah. cave dwelling community. <laughs> um, oh, I just forgot what the heck, what the heck I was well, going to well, Sorry, but... sorry. No, go ahead. One more, one more thing about that. Um, so the reason also why we find more um, artifacts and such in caves is because obviously a cave protects everything from the elements, right? So um, like bones and uh, and carvings and pieces of wood and all that are obviously going to survive better and longer in a cave as opposed to just being in an open field. And I think scientists aren't going to just go dig in an open field for no reason. It has to happen by accident. Like someone's doing road work or digging up a field for farming. And then I think then scientists will then look. And I think that is why we haven't um, heard of more open air sites as opposed to cave sites. I've noticed with a lot of news feeds I, I read or look at that um, thankfully a lot of countries are are making it a, a necessity, I guess, in the sense that anytime you're going to do construction of any sort, you have to have an archaeologist on site with you when you're digging. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's long overdue. And I know they've done it here and there, but there, you know, there wasn't a you know, a real strong push for it. Um, but now it seems more widespread that there's a strong push for having an archaeologist on site whenever they're doing those digs. And that, yeah. that, that's awesome. I like that. That's mandatory where I live. Is, um, where I live. Oh, uh, okay. Where I live is, uh, was heavily inhabited by uh, Native Americans and settlers and all that. Yeah, I'm not sure if we, in, you know, at least at least in Pennsylvania, I, I don't know if we require that yet or not. I'm not sure. I mean, it's something that they should require <laughs> because from what I've seen, there's never been any, you know, huge discoveries of the Neanderthal type in North America. But and again, I may not I may be, uh, you know, uneducated about them or unaware of them. But, uh, you know, it seems like it's happens more in the other countries where you know they make that a standard that you need to have someone on site yeah so i i um i don't think neanderthals ever made it to the americas because it's just it's so far back and there's such a distance but there has been a lot of recent things saying um not neanderthals that somebody might have been here a hundred thousand years ago and you know people are probably going to call me crazy for believing this and whatever screw them <laughs> that's that's um, what i say who cares <laughs> if you know again just like all these discoveries if they all thought oh they're going to think i'm crazy for for saying this you know then we wouldn't have what we have today so go for it <laughs> yeah exactly there is now so for a while scientists in north america and yeah north america they were saying Clovis first, so nobody was here before 15,000 years ago. But now, and uh, I think in the Yukon, there's a site where somebody, he's a French guy, but I forget his name. He dug deeper than the Clovis levels, and there was nothing, nothing, nothing. And then he got however many feet below, and he found even more human artifacts that are about 50,000 years ago. 
And there's also, I think in California, there's a Mazdodon site that is, could be anywhere from 100,000 to 150,000 years old, where mammoth, uh, not mammoth, Mazdodon bones have been split open. And that's a, that's, um, that's a stereotypical human activity, pretty much. Yeah, I've, the one, the one direction I would just, you know, to, to touch on that is that I was trying to do for the podcast, for the Neanderthal mind was like, I wanted to, because I, whenever I'm talking to, you know, your, yourself and, you know, I mean, everyone I've interviewed or, or spoke with, you know, they always talk about the, the different levels of sediment that things are found in, you know, and I always wanted yeah. to. I always wanted to go into it, you know, maybe put out a PDF or something of, you know, this level, you're, you're you know, you're going to find, you know, these types of fossils and this, because uh, I don't even know, like you have the, what, the Pleistocene or Pleistocene. Uh, uh, can you touch on some of the different levels? Uh, that is, uh, that is not, <laughs> that's not my strong point. I know, like, I, I know old world stuff and I know some uh, North American stuff. So in the old world, it goes, um, Paleolithic, Mesolithic, and then Neolithic, and then there's all these subcategories. And um, since I'm mostly interested in to the uh, old world Paleolithic, I only know Lower Paleo, Upper Paleo, and then Middle Paleo. Um, so obviously, Upper being the most recent, and then Lower being the the furthest from us. Um, and again, that's that's depth into the ground that someone's dig someone digs, correct? Like. Um, uh, Yes, and you'd have to get like a like a like an actual archaeologist to uh, to explain it because I can only give you like a basic. And that's fine. That's all I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but just for me to understand, you know, basically on a third grade level, what what the heck does uh, you know what do those words represent? You know, the the, the Pleistocene is you know r roughly how deep or roughly what time era, something like that. You know. Um. All as I know is the Pleistocene is the era before our time. That's that's oh, okay. all I know. I don't, okay. even, I don't even know what era we're in now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I guess we won't know until they find us, uh, you know, 100,000 years from now. Then they'll they'll name us whatever level it is, I guess. Yeah. I know in, in America, they're, I think the oldest accepted one right now, but they're, like I was saying earlier, there's obviously going to be more old, like older sites found. Um, I think in the Americas, it goes Paleo-Indian to Archaic, and then um, pre-contact, and then post-contact, so like with the Spaniards and all that, and that's about as far as I know from here. From, yeah, uh, that, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's okay. So now, so, and, and, and we may have touched on it, and, uh, and I th actually, I think we did touch on it, but as a refresher, whenever you refer to your Levelois and Moisterian, what are those referring to? So Levelois and Moisterian points are um, mostly associated with Neanderthals. So that would be that would be the uppermost lower Paleolithic. <laughs> so that's uh, it's about. Um, 400,000 years old to around 50,000 years old. So from the, the uppermost lower Paleolithic throughout the middle Paleolithic and then just at the beginning of the upper Paleolithic, it's all 
so very confusing, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is just because, you know, if I had it in front of me and I, you know, I was reading it, obviously it wouldn't be as confusing, but just, you know, there's a lot of odd names that I've yeah. never heard of, you know, that kind of confuses yeah. me. And I mean, I would think, you know, that our listeners are, well, I mean, I, I would, I would think they're a little more intelligent than I am because I know nothing about the Neanderthals. But uh, you know, I, 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 I like to try and, and make them understand or help them understand what a lot of those words mean. Yeah, I'm not the most intelligent human being, but I, I know more than the average person when it comes to terminology and all that. Sure. Like some random guy on the street won't know what I know, and then. If you compare me to, let's say, someone like uh, um, Becky or Rebecca Reg Sykes, um, she's obviously more, like, a hundred times more knowledgeable than I am, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, back to the Levawa and Mysterian. Um, so, Levawa technology is actually older than Mysterian. Um, Levawa was used by uh, um, Proto-Neanderthal, so that's like uh, Homo heidelbergensis and homo antecessor um and that's like 500,000 to like 300,000 and then by the time in the neanderthals so like 300 to 400 and something thousand years ago they developed mysterian so mysterian is actually more advanced than level one but level one is still mysterian it's it's so, it's so like interconnected but not at the same time and then, then what would how would they be more advanced more refined i guess that the the equipment yeah. the tools yeah. are okay okay more refined yeah so during the time of level wad you'd have like a level wad core and you'd knock off a centripetal blade so um like if you if you've seen my videos and uh, there's just a big rock and then i take the top off of it and then it's just a big a big blade yes sorry excuse me no no it's okay. that would be that would be a big centripetal blade um and then if you see um, what I call uh, three blow level wah blades, it's the triangular points with a bevel. And that's pretty much, in my opinion, that's the pinnacle of uh, Neanderthal flint napping is when they started doing that on a regular basis. I, I can't even replicate that properly there now. Like I have to get lucky, set up the proper platform and then get it. And I can only make little tiny ones. And they were making not like like a hand-sized ones they weren't making obviously giant ones because then that would be that would be a waste of material <laughs> now that was the moisturian or level wash style you mean what what uh so during the moisturian um neanderthals were using level technology but okay. they also had uh they also had like moisturian blades and level blades and level blades are um it's like a centripetal core, except you're you're refining it more to, like you're shaping the core in a way where you can get the desired blade shape. Is the uh, most basic explanation for it. Okay, very good, very good. Now, so when did, um, so was was um, uh, cordage and birch tar and all that was that used? What level was that used in? Was that used in all the levels or? I know birch tar was first developed by Neanderthals um, like a hundred thousand years ago, I think is when they started using it or when it starts to show up in the archeological record. And um, from what I was reading again by 
Bruce Hardy and all that, he, I think he said, he or his wife said, it's possible that Cordage has always been with the Homo lineage. So like all the way back to Homo ergaster and then Homo erectus. It's possible that they were actually using Cordage themselves. So it's, uh, it's possible Cordage is a million years old at this point. Awesome, and I'm sure it doesn't. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't hold that long out in the elements, or even. No. Nope, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I posted recently that my uh, I had a cordage made from milkweed, milkweed fibers that uh, broke because of the natural oils on my skin. So, cordage does not last long at all, and I, that was only for a year. Okay. Yeah, I remember you saying something about your, the milkweed or whatever it was. I do remember seeing something about that. Well, I mean, what else? Uh, what else you want to get into? Uh, anything you want to, uh, you know, express to the uh, cave dweller community? Any uh, knowledge you want to spread on them? Uh, <laughs> Let me ask you this: I, I had, uh, and I don't know where you would be on this, and if you want to answer it, it's up to you. Um, someone that, you know, I'm sure you've read a lot of his posts. Well, I had Alan Van Arsdale on. I remember what maybe back in December I had him, um, and he had talked about multi-regionalist, multi-regionalism. Is that anything you're familiar with, and, and where do you stand on that? Uh, actually, I follow that theory more than the out of Africa theory. Surprisingly, mm -hmm. believe it or not, I can understand the out of Africa theory, but to me personally, it doesn't make any sense because, um. The more, the more they discover and the older bones they discover, it keeps getting pushed back and back and back, right? So I, I get that science is, um, is figuring things out, but I don't think the out-of-Africa theory really holds much. Um, it shouldn't have as much power as it does, per se. Um, and I, I think the, the multi-regional hypothesis makes more sense to me at a level because if you look around there's just there's too much diversity within humans right like all these different races you got all these different people and they've been in these spots for hundreds of thousands of years like australian aborigines asians europeans russians and all that africans it just doesn't i think there was a when whatever species homo erectus or whatever went to these different spots they interbred with a species that was already there so when erectus went there they intermingled with uh, neanderthals and then when erectus went to asia they intermingled with denisovans and so on and then throughout hundreds of thousands of years the the hybrids mixed and all that and then they made modern humans in the end is what i think happened I believe you read read a good bit of books, and uh, whenever I was talking to Rebecca, she had uh, mentioned a book called The Children of Ash and Elm. I don't know if you ever read that book, or if you have any... Uh... Um, I, I remember her mentioning that when I listened to the podcast, but I have not read it yet. Okay, very good. So yeah, now you, had, uh, you asked me about the maple, and uh, see, right now I have... Well, let's see. Last year I started it. Last year I tapped four maple trees, and I think I got maybe 40. I think I did get 40 gallon out of the four maple trees I tapped last year. Now, this year I tapped four again, but I put two taps in two of the trees. So I have a total of six taps with four trees. 
Uh, now the one tap didn't produce anything, which I knew it wouldn't because whenever I drilled the hole, like it was, it was uh, like real dark wood and it was real soft. So I didn't think it would produce anything, but I left it in there just so it wouldn't get any fungus or anything in it. But so out of five taps, uh, I've been going for, yeah, not even a month yet, maybe three, three and a half weeks. And uh, I think I got over 60 gallon of uh, sap. So well that's that's a lot <laughs> it is a lot and my issue is you know I, I tend to sometimes put the cart before the horse as they say and I, I don't have the significant means to boil the sap down <laughs> like I have oh. uh, I have two deep fryers like one is like a fish deep fryer for outdoors yeah. and one is a turkey deep fryer for outdoors and that's what I'm using with propane, you know, to try and boil all this down. I've done, I've boiled down 20 gallons so far. I have 10 gallons actually boiling right now while we're talking. It's out there boiling down out on the back deck. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm having fun with it. You know, like I said, I, it would be a lot funner if I had the means to boil it down appropriately. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that point at some point. So how, how, if you, when you boil down 20 gallons, you say, uh, how, how much do you, how much syrup or whatever do you get out of that? Like what, what's the, uh, yeah, that, their ratio is 40 gallons of sap will make you one gallon of syrup. <laughs> so it's, oh, a, really? oh yeah. Yeah. It's probably 90% water, you know, whenever you're taking it out of the tree. I mean, it's clear. It's That's... actually clear liquid. Maybe like at least with my maples, I think the different maples that you tap, maybe the syrup looks different or the sap looks different. But uh, I think I might have silver maples. So I'm not that keen to, you know, the, the lineage or I think it's the right word. Maybe not lineage, but, the, you know, what, what type of maple they are. I think they might be silver maples. Um, uh... But yeah, like I said, with that, and I've already, well, so yeah, so I've done... No, I've only I've only done twenty gallons. Like I said, I did ten last week, and well, no, I'm up to thirty gallons. And I've gotten one, two, three, four, five or six pints out of it. So that's not too bad. No, no, not at all. I mean, it's it's a lot of work for a, a, a little return, but the little return is is fantastic. You know, in, in the taste. Yeah, it's almost the same as uh, refining birch tar. Yeah, I wanted to actually mention that to you because they say you can tap and make syrup out of birch trees, birch trees, beech trees, maples. So I was going to ask you, I was going to bring that up to you and see if you ever thought about doing that. I have there. I live in Ontario, so obviously there's thousands of birch trees in my area, but unfortunately, so far I have not got permission to tap any of them. And I shouldn't say this, but in parks and such. I go and I'll strip the bark off of fallen trees and that's when I'll go and make my, uh, my birch tar for um, like spears and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, what the heck, why let it go to waste? It's just, <laughs> it's just sitting yeah, there. In it's, just gonna rot. it's just going to yeah. rot and then it's going to cause fungus and all that and probably right. the other tree. So when yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the first part, when you, when you, um, when you initially distill the birch bark and then you get the, uh, the uh, liquid tar, I guess it's called oil at that point. 
okay. and it's basically nine it's 90 percent water at that point so then like like with your um with your uh maple sap you have to refine it down and you have to boil it down and then you only get like uh you only get like 10 percent back so yeah. it's a lot of work it's a lot of work for little reward but that little reward is so it's like it, it like brings out this primal primal uh happiness in you i guess because you just did all this work for something you're going to cherish as long as you can <laughs> yeah yeah so then i guess with birch it, I, I mean i get like so at, at a certain point with maple obviously you, you can't boil it down to a tar point <laughs> right yeah. because then you just can't use it <laughs> i've never but, i've never heard of uh anyone making glue from uh, maple trees from so maple on. right <laughs> yeah so but like i know like i said with me with the, you know the means that i have to boil it down and i mean it's just still probably has a good three or four hours to go before i can even bring it in the house to finish it off you know so i mean it yeah. takes a very long time to boil it down with, at least with the means that i have now with your yeah. birch sap how like how long does it take you to to boil it to a tar consistency because i can only imagine that's longer um so birch birch sap and birch tar are are um are done through very different methods so oh, birch, okay. Okay. birch sap is collected the same way pretty much that you do with a maple tree so you'll tap the tree in spring when the juices are flowing yes okay. and then you'll, you'll collect the sap and you'll boil it down and then you'll get uh, birch syrup with oh. With um, with getting birch tar, the way I do it, you strip the bark off the tree, uh, preferably a dead tree. You don't want to kill a live birch. Obviously, they're beautiful. Leave them alone. <laughs> and then you um, you uh, it's called dry distillation. So you pretty much heat the bark up in a container, and then you cover it with ash or dirt or whatever. And then you'll have one container a little bit above the surface level where the fire will actually roar over it. And then like a foot under the ground, you'll have another container to actually catch the oil. So you'll heat it up. I think it's like you heat it up to around 200 degrees with the fire. And then that sweats out all the, uh, the oil from the, uh, the, uh, the birch bark. It all falls down in that little container. You let it cool off. And then you take the container out of the earth or out of the ground, sorry. Um, and then you boil it down. So if you get like, if you get, let's say, a liter of birch oil, that will make you, um, that will make you like a handful of birch tar in the end, which you can use as a glue. So birch oil is actually very good for, um, for waterproofing, proofing leather, um, and other textiles such as like cloth fabric and all that it's really flammable so you got to be extra careful when handling it um and it takes if if you were going to boil down a liter of birch oil it would take like 18 hours to get some birch tar out of it so it takes quite a bit of time too yeah <laughs> it does sound pretty similar to uh <laughs> making maple syrup yeah definitely <laughs> But like I said, the reward is just well, well worth the, uh, you know, well, well, well worth yeah. the effort. I, uh, I use it in all my primitive projects. Well, the ones where I'm making knives or um, necklaces, I, 
I like a lot of people today will cut corners. So I try to keep it as close to primitive as I can. Let's, um, well, we're getting, like I said, close to the uh, hour mark here. And I, I, again, I don't want to take up much of your time, but there are a few questions here. And I don't think I asked you these last time, but it kind of, you know, it, it gives an insight into you a little bit for the listeners. So um, the one question that I had thought of, you know, with, with other interviews is what theories of evolution do you believe? You know, like, and the reason I asked that, I think, uh, you know, I was watching Ancient Aliens before whenever I, whenever I thought about asking this question, you know, where they say, you know, aliens kind of created us or, you know, then you have the, the religious side of it that, you know, it's Adam and Eve, and then you have the scientific side of it, which, uh, where do you stand? So I'm definitely an atheist. Um, I don't believe in religion. I believe, so I'm going to go more in depth in that for a minute. Um, I definitely believe gods were real people at one point. Like I believe Jesus was a man and then people like a cult. He had a cult following, which then turned into a religion. I know I'm probably going to get scrutinized for that, but that's how I think religions. Well, are <laughs> you know, I, and, and really, I don't, I mean, there, obviously there'll be a couple out there that do, but I think that there seems to be a growing consensus consensus against religion you know <laughs> the the uh yeah. well the stereotypical religion so, but go ahead go ahead on because I, I think I, you'll be fine to add to what you just said i believe and so do many other people that politics is becoming the new religion and that's unfortunate um, I'll say I'll say an amen to that because I I, I, will, I will wholeheartedly agree with you on that. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Um, I uh, and about aliens, I I 100% aliens agree. There, it's it's almost scientifically impossible that they don't. Um, do I believe that they created us? No, I I don't believe that. I I definitely believe in um, like Darwin's theory through the process of. Uh, if this guy dies, he's not, he's obviously not going to have offspring. So the guy who didn't get eaten by the tiger is going to have offspring. And then his children are going to obviously have that gene to run faster. So that's how I think it happened. But as to theories of how we became modern humans, I believe in, um, I believe in the, for one, the multi, the multi-regional hypothesis plus the hybridization hypothesis. So I believe a form of archaic human came out of wherever, the Middle East, Africa, China, wherever they want to pinpoint it. For me personally, I believe the most plausible place it could have happened is either somewhere in the Asias or in Africa, where we find the, the biggest concentration of archaic, like Australopithecines and all that. And then they, these, those uh, really archaic ones mixed with, like I said earlier, Neanderthals or Denisovans or whatever. And that's where modern humans come from. That's what I personally believe. That's not, that's not a mainstream idea, but it's the one I follow. So then <laughs> the one, and I don't want to say I struggle with it, but you know, it's always in the back of my mind. So do you, do you perceive or believe or think that we evolved from or split from the um, primate classification, I guess you can say, like monkeys? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Uh, we definitely, like obviously chimps and 
and uh, and gorillas and all that. We're we're close family, but we split from that millions of years ago. Uh, what I'm saying is like, I guess it would be Heidelbergensis. Um, they stayed in Africa, and then they went off elsewhere, and then the Neanderthals came around, and then like a Heidelbergensis, our antecessor, mixed with Neanderthals, and then that's where modern people come from and then that happened in asia and wherever you want and then those these hybrids mixed with each other creating all the different races and all that that's that's personally what i follow and, it, and it's you know again like we go back to uh you know it's it's a stereotype or, or like why why would we not believe that we could split from a private well because you think about you know the different uh, dogs, you know, the, the, the man's best friend that we have. I mean, uh, clearly, or supposedly they all split from a wolf or, you know, a, a coyote yeah, or something. Yeah. So how, how could it not be possible that we split from, you know, like a, a primate of some sort in the, in the past, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Like, why would you not believe that? Why don't you see that or think that? And I'm not saying you, I'm saying, you know, generalization. Why would somebody not see yeah. the facts yeah. behind that, I guess? <laughs> There's definitely a lot of religious people and um, a lot of people that aren't interested in this kind of stuff that that don't know what a common ancestor is. So we don't we don't come from chimps or gorillas, right? We have a common ancestor with them is basically how I would describe it. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can see that. Yeah. Now, a couple other questions here. Now, who... And I don't even think I asked you this. I think I came up with these questions after we talked because you were. Oh yeah, and uh, just to just to uh, mention this and add to it. I mean, I, I want to thank you for being the first guest that I ever had on the Neanderthal Mind. Don't forget that. But not yeah, only no, that, no words. No not words. only that, you still are. The episode with you is still the most downloaded episode that I have. So kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's just and it's by far by by a far reach. <laughs> for you know it's like well it's because it was the first interview now it's i mean it's well, like, I, for the amount I also promote the hell out of it like yeah. every time i'm on here i promote it and yeah, i, I, I tell that. my family members and all that and they go check it out well you got a lot of people that uh, like to hear what you have to say that's for sure you know i mean you know it's that still, again with you know with the ones who follow still you on facebook <laughs> <laughs> But the, the the other the one question too I wanted to ask you um, is like who well, I guess who is your influence like who well so if you could think back and, and we may we may have talked about it on the first interview but uh, who yeah, influenced you to get into it we we talked about this um, for a, a few minutes but we didn't really go into it so just to name off a few people um, William Lord I'm sure you know him he's this big prehistoric guy. Um, I definitely oh, I, I do see him posting on your on your Facebook, right? I believe, uh, or am yeah, I used to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of people will know who he is. Yeah. Um, another channel called Hunt Primitive. It's run by a, a guy named Brian Gill. I used to watch his videos religiously. <laughs> um, he, those two are definitely, I would say, the biggest influences for me. Um, but going back even further into my childhood, my grandma would, uh, she used to let me read, um, and then she would read Clan of the Cave Bear and all that. So, yeah, that I remember us talking about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. Go ahead, keep going with it. Though. 
Um, that would definitely be why I'm super interested in Neanderthals and the Paleolithic is because of those movies. Um, and then again, my parents watching documentaries and all that. And for a while in my teenage years, I kind of ignored that side of me. Like it was always there. Like I always had an interest in, in like cavemen and stone tools and all that. But I, I was sort of like a, I was a teenager, right? So I'm like, oh, that's stupid. I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's learning. <laughs> sure, and then as yeah. I, I don't want to, I guess, yeah, as I matured and became more, I guess as puberty sort of um, mellowed out, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of realized, well, obviously that's what I'm interested in. So I should probably do something with this. And then 17, 16, 17, I started the group and then it sort of just spread out from there. So I've met a lot of people. Um, for the two I mentioned, uh, those aren't the only one. There's also a guy named Emil Ibrahim, I think is his name. He's from the Middle East. He's a, he's a, he's very knowledgeable when it comes to Levois technology and all that. And he's, a, he's one person I ask a lot of questions to. Um, there's another guy from Norway named Morton. I don't know how to say his last name. He's a, he's another guy I ask tons of questions. But the person I would say right now in my life that I ask the most questions about, like I'd probably talk to him more than um, some of my brothers. It's <laughs> uh, a joke. I talk to my brothers every day, but I ask him almost every time if this is even plausible. His name is Douglas Meyer. He's, uh, he's been in this longer than I've been alive. Uh, and I pretty much ask him questions daily or weekly or whatever. And uh, he's definitely a, big influence and like why I continue to do this. Um, so uh, another question is, and then we'll kind of wrap things up with the last question, but uh, what, and, and actually you did mention it, I believe, but let's, let's touch on it again. What book or media are you ingesting currently? Like what, uh, you know, what's holding your attention whenever you're not flint napping? <laughs> um, so right now I, I just finished a book called, um, uh, the heck is it called? Uh, it's called the story of the cave bear or something like that. And it basically just goes on about cave bear evolution and how they died and all that and how, uh, medieval people used to think they were dragons and such. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty good book. Is that, is that where far. it comes from? Is that where the, the theory of dragons comes from is the cave, the, the, the cave bear or whatever? I mean, at least yeah, that's what yes, the book portrays. I think, so. I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, and then right, right now, I'm not sure if it's an actual science book or if it's uh, like a fantasy book, but it's called How to Date Freeze a Mammoth. And um, I, actually, I've seen that from one of Douglas's uh, posts, and I had to buy it because it looked like, I know they say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but it looks really interesting. So that's what I'm about to read. You said how, that's How to Deep Freeze a mammoth is that what you said it's called how to yeah yeah okay. that's what it's called okay yeah and you, then, you, um, you kind of went out whenever you were saying that like you're you know the 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 audio kind of it, it was okay i just wanted to confirm that's what you said but go ahead what's the other one and then um i just bought a book um from ralph selecki he he is the guy who did all the shanadar stuff with the shanadar neanderthals and the flower burial and all that um and I just got an original copy from the 60s of it's called Shanadar, the first flower people. And I'm really excited to get into that one. So hopefully that arrives within a week or so. Awesome. 
Very good. I'll have to look at those too. Uh, me, I, it's more like I, I can only do audio, uh, you know, books because I just unfortunately don't have the time to sit down and read. But uh, I do have the time when yeah. I'm driving to and from my nine to five to listen to things. So. Is there, so I guess the final thing is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to, uh, like to bring up? Maybe anything you thought of, you know, in the last couple of minutes that we didn't touch that you would like to bring up? Um, not really, I guess just, uh, I have some more videos in the planning. Um, I'm going to go into sort of Neanderthal burials and all that. Do you want to wait a minute? The, the dogs are barking. I'm not sure if you can hear them or not. Here, there's, there was a tapping sound. I hope not, but my frog was trying to bite me through his tank. What <laughs> <laughs> kind of frog is it that it wants to bite you? I don't know. Is that a good thing? <laughs> um, he's, a, he's an African bullfrog, so he's got a little bit of an attitude problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i think you i think you showed a picture of something where he what he, he broke skin he made you bleed a little bit or something or oh yeah he's got teeth he, he'll he go right through your skin yeah no kidding <laughs> they're um they're ambush hunters so they they actually like in jurassic park when they're like don't move they can't they can only see movement with my frog he had they actually can only see movement so if if um if he was a giant, I wouldn't move like in the Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> <laughs> now, how, how old is your frog? How old is the frog? Uh, I think he's three, three years What's old. His name? Uh, I call him Jabba. Jabba, <laughs> nice. Now, how long are those uh, those frogs supposed to live for? How long? What's their lifespan? Uh, in the wild, it's like ten years, but in captivity, it can be twenty to thirty. Holy cow! Yeah, that's a long-term investment there, huh? <laughs> oh, I'm in the long haul with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, so anyways, back to uh, was there uh, you know anything that you that you thought of that uh, you know you may want to talk about before we before we end? Anything? Just lost train of thought. Oh yeah, oh. like I was saying, um, I got some videos planned in the future for YouTube. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Mesmosquia cave, Shanadar cave, um, a lot of stuff actually towards the Shanadar cave after I read the book and uh, a little bit before. Um, I'm going to be going over some of the things in my collection because I got a little museum going on right now. And uh, yeah, if anyone sees, if anyone who's hearing this finds uh, old vintage prints, of Neanderthals and all that, let me know because I've become very interested in them. I've been purchased recently, so yeah, that's really seen, it. Uh, I've seen you post that one picture, huh? That you, uh, I'm not sure how old you said it was. Fairly old, huh? Yeah, a, a lot of the things I've been collecting are 100 to 70 something years old. So nice. Old. That's pretty cool. I think my oldest one is actually from 1890s. This is from the 1890s. It's uh, interesting to see. You know, again, that's kind of when the uh, stereotypes started. Obviously, it was back then, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, um, Go ahead. To cut you off. I, uh, I plan on getting a bunch of old vintage prints and then uh, having some newer prints, like showing this is what we thought 100 years ago and this is what we think now. That's what I want to do in the end. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that'll turn out awesome. 
Well, Joe, Neanderthal Joe, man, again, I, I, it's the second time around. So again, now you are my officially the first return guest as well. So you were officially the first guest, and now you're officially the first return guest. <laughs> well, it's an honor. It's 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 it. I know I've said it before, and it sounds all um, cute and cuddly, but it, it's it's a lot of fun coming on here and talking to you about stuff like this. It's, there's not a lot of other people around here that I can talk to about stuff like this. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, like I said, you got, you know, at least what I can see from my downloads, you've got a lot of people that like to hear you, hear what you have to say. And obviously with, you know, your, uh, your community and, uh, you know, the numbers that you have, you, you got a lot of people that like to hear what you have and or, or hear what you say and see what you have and see what you do. So I, I, I appreciate you coming on and, exposing me to you know some of your community i appreciate that yeah no worries thank you for having me and i hope to come on again soon in another month or so yeah absolutely <laughs> you, you let me know man and we'll uh you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll definitely get you back on uh, yeah like i said i have uh, ea megs coming back on too so she i think she was my i think she might have been my second guest because i think you had referred her or she you know yeah i think that's how it was you had referred her so she was, yeah. she was my second guest and now she will be officially my second return guest <laughs> well joe hey you know thank you again i appreciate you coming on for the second time and uh man i look forward to the look forward to the third time i appreciate everything and uh you know again i know our our, our communities are going to appreciate uh, this second time around for us yeah, no worries. Uh, it's always fun. It's never a dull moment on here. Just talk <laughs> <for you. laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's something I do like to try and do with the podcast. And you know, as as I go along, I get a little more comfortable with talking freely. You know, at first I was yeah. a little more uh, uh, you know written down and, and following a script in a sense, but uh, I've been kind of getting more comfortable with it. And you know, yeah. again, I, I appreciate I, uh... it. Last time I tried to follow a script and I kept uh, I kept stuttering because I was trying to stay on topic. But I think this time I talked a little more freely, and just like kind of let my mind go. Yep, it was all good, man. I appreciate it. Well, hey, until we until we meet again, brother. Uh, you know, I'll be talking to you on Facebook, I'm sure. And uh, you know, anytime you got something that comes up and you want to sit back down again, let me know. Absolutely. All right. All right See brother. you later, man. Thank you, man. And there you have it, cave dwellers. I know you were in tune to that conversation, and I know you gained just a little more knowledge about Neanderthals and our favorite Neanderthal, Joe Lawler. I can't thank Joe enough for joining me for a second time on the Neanderthal Mind and look forward to Joe's future visits. I have a pretty good feeling he's going to be a regular on the podcast. Well, cave dwellers, join me next episode as we get more into the psychology side of the Neanderthal mind and how to not succumb to work stress with Madeleine Weiss and her new book, Getting Too Great, G-R-E-A-T, Five-Step Strategy for Work and Life, based on science and stories. Until next time, cave dwellers. Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind Podcast 
wherever you download your podcasts. If you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast as much as we hope you have, please recommend The Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next episode, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget, leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com.